set aside some of what you have earned and give it as an offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. So I want us to pray this together and uh, let's just do it with all of our hearts, can we? It says in this manner, Jesus said, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Can we read those last two sentences together again? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Turn your neighbor and tell them you're going to be blessed tonight. God bless you. Well, uh, first of all, let me give a little uh, little plug for what we're going to do. Uh, next week, we're going to finish up the Lord's Prayer. If you don't have a prayer card, raise your hand and we're going to get you one right now. If you don't have one of these laminated prayer cards, raise your hand and we'll get you one right now. And... Uh, Praise the Lord. Good. And uh, this is Jane's granddaughters here. Uh, Jane, stand up. When Jane is standing up, it's like most people are sitting down. But go ahead and stand up there, Jane. And that's her granddaughters there, and they're they're visiting. So, amen. And so they haven't had a prayer card. And uh, if you have this prayer card, I want you to keep it. Put it in your Bible. Save it. Pray through it. Uh, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching pre-service prayer, and it's going to be good. And we're going to we're going to learn to pray through this card. It's just the Lord's Prayer, and it's a incredible. And of course, since Jesus did it, nothing has ever matched it in terms of a prayer that encompasses everything, every issue in life. And so tonight. We're going to look at uh, the power to forgive. But so far, we've seen that the first half of the Lord's Prayer is totally occupied with God and His interests. That's what you find when you look at it. The second half focuses on personal petitions. And I've shared with you that immature praying is when it's all about you. You're growing in maturity in the place of prayer when you pray about something other than me, myself, and I and what I need. Uh, mature praying is when you're able to focus on God and His interests and what He wants to do in the lives of other people. And that's where we're really looking to learn how to pray. Not just over our own needs. God wants us to pray. Jesus wants us to pray over our own needs. But He wants us to go beyond that. Where we're praying for other things. Uh, how many of you, for instance, are very aware that America needs prayer? Amen? Amen? America needs prayer. Well, if we're all consumed with just us, then America is not going to get the prayer, uh, the prayer that it needs. I believe if the church was ever praying in the history of this nation, it should be now for this nation. All right? So the first half of the Lord's Prayer has us focusing on God and His interests. All right? What am I doing? There we go. Hello, we okay, Jeff? All right. No, I want to go next. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I'm going to get one of these little buttons where I can change it myself. And so there we go. 
And finally, we looked at the difference between heaven and the kingdom of God. Heaven is a place, while the kingdom of God is a condition. And I hope you got that. And what is the condition of the kingdom of God? I want everybody to say it with me. Righteousness. Preach to me better than that. Are you ready? What it, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now that's a condition. And that's not something we're waiting for when we die. The kingdom of heaven is a place, but the kingdom of God is a condition. And we are to walk in that condition. That's the condition you ought to walk in every day. Not just on a good day, not just on Sundays, but you ought to walk in the condition of first being right with God. And because of your right standing with God, then you have peace with God and with your own soul. And with peace follows joy. And I believe that they're put in that order because that's the order they happen in. That's the order they take place in. Righteousness followed by peace, followed by joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Then last time we saw that God cares about the bread issues of our life. He's a God of provision. Our God is a God of provision. Jehovah Jireh. He sees and He provides. He knows what you need before you even ask Him. Jesus said that. He cares for His children. To not provide for you is to deny Himself. And you can't deny your children. He can't deny His. Amen? Now this time we're going to uh, look at the subject of forgiveness. And this is a strong one. How many of you have realized that forgiving is not an easy thing to do? But it's a necessary, isn't it? Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, we're going to look first at the willingness to forgive is crucial to our relationship with God. And I'm going to show this to you in a way tonight that you're going to be going, oh me, as, as well as amen, but we got to hear it because Jesus was strong about this. I want you to notice what he said. Forgive us our debts as. So there's something going on while we're asking for forgiveness. There is something going on within us as well. These two things, God forgiving us and us forgiving others, are mutually exclusive. These two things have got to happen in prayer. See, we can't pray good. We can't be heard in prayer the way we want to be. And we're not going to be answered the way we want to be if we don't forgive. So he said, forgive me my trespasses as, as, while I am forgiving those who have trespassed against me. And so if we're going to get it vertically, we've got to give it horizontally. And that's the way it works with God. Okay? Now in his prayer, Jesus indicates that we owe a debt to God. And that others owe debts to us. Now I want you to catch that. We're indebted to God. Jesus says that we can't and haven't lived up to the righteous standard of living that God requires. And so we're indebted to Him. How many of you have failed God since you got saved? Anybody in here hadn't failed God since you got saved? Because you're in deception. I'm going to pray for you right now. <laughs> you're in deception. But everybody has failed God since they got saved, right? How many failed God this week? How many failed God today? I don't want to know. Just keep your hand down. 
All right? But we fail God all the time, don't we? Now, Jesus said we are therefore indebted to God. What God requires for us to be in the kind of relationship with Him that we ought to be in, what He requires, we cannot give Him perfectly. We can't do it. All right? And it's the same way with others. Others in your life and in my life have not and will not be perfect in their relationships with us. They never will be. Get married for one week and you'll find out. Amen? You both fail each other. And how many of you have been failed by somebody lately? Yeah. I mean, they didn't live up to what relationship principles required. They didn't live up. So you could say they're indebted to you and we're indebted to God. So forgiveness is a part of life. If, if we're not forgivers, we can't function in life. We're either going to walk around bitter or we're going to walk around better. But you can't function in life vertically or horizontally, vertically with God or horizontally with people, unless you're a forgiver. All right? Now, the word debts or trespasses means something owed. The Greek word that they're drawn from means something owed, moral obligations unfulfilled, our shortcomings, our sins, something that is due. That's what trespasses or debts, the Greek word that those were translated out of, that word means I owe something. That's what it means. Trespasses means I owe something. I'm indebted. I have fallen short. It indicates that we have cheated God. Now, that's the fact. And you know what? It's a great day when you realize that. As long as you walk around saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm good, I never got a ticket, I'm a good person, I'm a good, uh, 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 I'm a, uh, I, um, I give to society, you know, I pay my bills, I'm a good person. It's a great day when we realize that we have all fallen short and we've all cheated God. That's what the word means. So Jesus said, when you come into the place of prayer, if you're really praying, there's no way to get out of handling whatever you need to handle between you and God on a daily basis. I personally believe in daily repentance. I've never gone into prayer of any quality that I did not have to repent over something. You think something, you say something, you do something, you cop an attitude, something that is contrary to the character of God. And you need to, you need to ask, repent, uh, ask forgiveness for it, you need to repent for it. And that's just a part of prayer. And so Jesus gave us the model prayer. There it is right there. You've got to repent. Forgive me my debts. I owe you today. Forgive me for what I have fallen short in. As the debtor in the creditor's hand, so is the sinner in the hands of God. We owe to Him a life of righteousness we cannot provide of ourselves. Try it. Go ahead. Try to live the Ten Commandments. You can't do it. You can't do it. Only one person's ever done it, and His name is Jesus. We can't do it. You, you, if you keep nine of them, you'll break one. If you keep eight of them, you'll break two. And you'll break them regularly. 
because we have all fallen short. And the Greek tense there, in the original, it goes like this. We are all continuously falling short. It's not just something that happened back here. We are all continuously falling short of what God requires. So we need to all the time repent. And I think that's a good thing. Amen? Now, we owe to Him a life of righteousness. We can't provide. And through the power of forgiveness, God, thank God, is willing to write it off. Thank God that He is a forgiving God. Can we say that together? Thank God He is a forgiving God. Jesus' message is that God expects us to forgive others when they don't provide us what they should. That's His message. Forgive me my debts, Lord. I'm indebted to You as I forgive those who are indebted to me. Forgive me. Now here's the question, and this question is good for a Christian as well as a non-Christian. All right? Are we willing to write it off or to write off what we feel other people owe us? Are we willing to write it off like God wrote ours off? Are we willing to do that? Not easy to do. But let me tell you a little secret about forgiveness. It's easier to forgive, though it's hard. It's easier to forgive than it is not to in the long run. Forgiveness will be easier on you than unforgiveness will be. All right? Here's the test of forgiveness. And you may be tested on this before you get home tonight. All right? You might, you might have a hassle with somebody in the parking lot. Who knows? But the test of forgiveness is going to come to everybody in this room. It's going to come to everyone. The test of forgiveness comes when we encounter situations like this. You owed me honesty and you lied instead. There's an example. In, in healthy relationship, you owed me honesty, but you lied instead. But I forgive you. Here's another one. You owed me loyalty, but you were disloyal instead. What do I do with that? Or how about this one? You owed me love and you abandoned me instead. What do you do with that? Well, you can say you owed me love and you abandoned me instead. So I'm going to hate you the rest of my life. I'm going to be bitter at you. I'm going to be unforgiving. I'm going to hold a grudge or I'm going to set myself free and I'm going to forgive you. All right. In these types of situations, here's the call of Jesus Christ to every Christian, every one of us, we're all going to face it. Here's his call. Forgive them, even as your Father in heaven has forgiven you. Now, he turns the screw, doesn't he? Jesus just puts it right down there. You know, I know his teaching is from God because if I'm trying to win friends and influence people, I don't teach this. Because this isn't easy. People don't want to hear this. In Texas, we want to hear this. You wrong me, I'm coming for you, and I'm going to whoop you. That's what we like in Texas. And frankly, that's more appealing to me. But Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, you, you, you were supposed to love me, but you abandoned me. I forgive you. 
You owed me and you didn't come through, but I forgive you. Father, forgive them even as your Father in heaven has forgiven you. All right. Here's the fact. God could just as easily say these things to us. You owed me righteousness, but you gave me sin instead. Couldn't he? Or here's what he could say. He could say, you owed me worship, and you worshiped an idol instead. Or how about this one? You owed me your thanks, and you were thankless instead. Do you see the debt issue? We owe God. As His created creatures, we owe Him. We owe Him a certain relationship. We owe Him certain actions. We owe Him loyalties. He says, but you didn't do it. You owed me, but you didn't come through. And here's my choice. My choice is to forgive you. How often has God done things for us we didn't thank Him? Those ten lepers were healed. Only one came back to thank God. You owed me. I blessed you, but you didn't even thank me. I forgive you instead. I forgive you anyway. And he says, as God does you, here's the message, I want you to do others. You say, well, Lord, that's virtually impossible. I'm not you. I'm not God. I'm me. And, and I get mad. And I get disappointed. And I get disillusioned. And I don't want to have to do this. You're God. But God says, yes, but I'm living in you. And I'm going to empower you to do exactly what I do. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. So shall you be the children of your Father who is in heaven. Then he talks about God. He says, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rains of refreshing on the just and on the unjust. You know, we've been in kind of a drought. When it finally rains, that rain's going to fall on the heads of righteous people and wicked people. And the wicked are going to go, wow, rain. And God's going to let them have that rain. If I was God, I'd have rain spots. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I'd have some rain spots. And I'd pick out the righteous and I'd put little clouds over their head. <laughs> and, I'd, and, and I'd just let that rain fall on them. And then I would hope that the others got the hint. But I'm not God. Jesus said he makes his son. Think about this. Every morning, people who curse God, who hate God, who live against God, who loathe his word, who persecute his people, God makes his son to rise on them. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the publicans do the same. Big deal if you love people who just love you. So here Jesus, again, he's saying, as your father treats you, you treat others. Okay? The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Do you know that he's talking about holding grudges in that psalm? If I regard a grudge in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Peter asked about forgiveness one day, and this is kind of funny. 
At one point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven times? He thought that was a lot. I mean, do I go as far as to do it seven times in one day? Jesus countered and said, seven times? <laughs> Hardly. Try 70 times seven. Now, if you know your math, that's 490 times in one day. You know how many offenses that is per hour? You know how many times you're forgiving per hour? I mean, it's, it's stunning. And, of course, he was, he was exaggerating to make a point. Whenever you need to, you need to forgive. It's never too many times. You always need to be a forgiver. Now, let's talk about something else. The choice to not forgive brings tough consequences. All right? Jesus one day gave a sobering parable on forgiveness, and I've gotten this in the Message Bible, and I want to read you this parable, and I want to comment on it as we go. Listen to this parable. It's so powerful. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. A lot of money. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. These people... This family, in Jesus' parable, was going to have to go live their lives out as slaves to pay off the debt they owed this king. They were in real trouble. Now, I want you to notice, so far, Jesus is, il is illustrating the high cost of sin. Without forgiveness from God, we are destined to a life of misery and bondage. That's what Jesus is telling us. Slavery. Misery, bondage. He's illustrating sin. All right, then the parable goes on. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king did more than give him a chance. He let him off. He erased the debt. Wow. How many of you would love to hear Visa say that to you? <laughs> MasterCard, American Express. Now here we have a beautiful picture of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The debt of sin has been utterly erased. Notice Jesus in the parable, he didn't, he didn't show the guy working it off because you can't work off your sin debt. He showed the guy receiving mercy, total erasing of the sin debt. But now look what happened. The servant who got forgiven was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. Ten bucks compared to a hundred thousand. Ten bucks! He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. Pay me now! He just got forgiven a hundred thousand G's. And all this guy owes him is ten. You would think that he'd be doing cartwheels and having a party. It's like, oh, 10 bucks, forget it. I just got forgiven 100,000. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance. He said the same thing to him that this forgiven servant said to the king. Give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't even give him a chance. He wouldn't give him a chance. He had him arrested and put in jail 
until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they went and ratted on him. That's the revised Wickwire version. They were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. They told him everything. He grabbed him by the throat. He had him arrested. He yelled at him. He condemned him. And he wouldn't have any mercy on him. Now here's the king who just let this cat go to the tune of $100,000. Now Jesus is illustrating right here the absurdity of someone that has experienced incredible mercy from God, yet shows no mercy at all to somebody else. Now, I want that to soak in for a minute. Jesus is letting us know, church, you and I were forgiven way more than $100,000 of debt. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And he paid the debt he did not even owe. We were in trouble. And he forgave us. Now here we are, a church full of redeemed people. And there's churches all over America filled with people who have been forgiven. I'm going to ask you a million dollar question now. That in mind, do you see this guy we're reading about? who wouldn't even forgive $10 to another? Do you see this cat, this dude in church ever? I'll answer it for you. I do. How quickly we forget that the king forgave us everything, erased it. And we ought to be, in light of that, forgivers. Not condemners, not judgers. Now, you've got to judge sin, but not harshly judging others, refusing to have mercy. We ought to be a church full of merciful people. What was the king's response when he got this report? The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant? who asked for mercy? Everybody give the answer to the rhetorical question. Preach to me now. Yes. That's the way you ought to be. Now, the king was furious. I want you to look at what the king did. Now, who's the king in this parable? God. The king is God or Jesus. You can, either one. The king is God or Christ. The king was furious. Turn the man over to who? No, God wouldn't turn you over to a tormentor. We have mistranslated this passage. No, we have not. He said, I'm going to turn you over to tormentors. That doesn't sound like God. He just blesses us with money and good things. He's Santa Claus in the sky. I mean, watch, watch this now. You're redeemed. And he expects you to act redeemed. All right? So look what happened. The king is God or Christ. Turn this guy who wouldn't forgive over to tormentors until he paid back the entire debt. And what would the debt be, everybody? What would, how would you pay it back? What is he looking for? Forgiveness. Until he was willing to forgive the man the debt, he was turned over to tormentors. 
And Jesus said, that is, now I'm quoting Jesus here, the red ink. That's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anybody who asks him for mercy. Okay, now, having an inquiring mind, and I do, I want to know who those tormentors are. Jesus has now brought home the sobering reality that the former recipient of mercy and forgiveness from God, who does not in turn forgive another, has a grim payday of chastening coming. Now, who were these tormentors? The Greek word that Jesus used for uh, torment means pain, toil, vexation. The king will turn the unforgiving servant who has been forgiven himself over to something that is painful, toil, and vexing. Let's explore further. Jesus used the same Greek word, let's just be clear about this, in other places. For instance, in his parable about the rich man who went to hell. Remember that parable about the rich man that went to hell? Jesus pictures him with full awareness. He wakes up, he's just called the rich man, and he wakes up in hell. He dies and he wakes up in hell. Now, don't ever let anybody tell you that hell's not real because Jesus taught on hell. And if Jesus taught on hell, I ain't taking my chances. <laughs> Jesus said there was a hell, not just here, but later. And he pictures the rich man who went to hell totally aware of his surroundings and, even worse, able to peer into heaven. He looks into heaven and he had had a servant while on earth when he was living sumptuously, getting whatever he wanted, had the plasma screen TVs, had the two-story house, drove the Mercedes, had it all. And he had a little servant who was covered with sores who he did not even really take good care of. And this little servant had faith. And when the servant died, he went into heaven. He's in Abraham's bosom. But this rich man wakes up in hell and looks up and sees the servant whose name was Lazarus. He sees him in Abraham's bosom. He says, please, I could have bought the finest wines when on earth. All I want now is one drop of water. Mm. He's sitting in Abraham's bosom and he's in hell. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water. Just dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in torment. Same Greek word, torment. Same Greek word, I am in torment in this fire. So the rich man woke up in a place called hell. It had fire. It had the worm that dies not. He was fully alert, fully awake, fully aware, and able to peer into heaven at what he missed. Once you see the power of this word, Jesus said he's going to turn you over to the tormentors. This dude's in torment in hell. And it's the same word. Now, in another place, Jesus tangles with a demon spirit who screams. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture, same word, torture us before the appointed time? See, only Jesus can torture a demon 
That's why they give you hell, you give them heaven. Now, I want you to see the power of the word. Same Greek word that Christ used in describing the rich man in hell and the same Greek word the New Testament uses to describe the demons fearing torment. That word is, he says, my father, the king, will turn you over to the tormentors. Okay? So whoever the tormentors are, what they do is not pretty. I don't think that you want to be in this position. Say, well, you know, you're kind of bumming me out about God. I kind of like to see God, you know, as this really good guy up there who just wants to make me feel good. And let me tell you something, folks. We, God can bless and God can chastise. I'm just talking about he'll bring chastening. If we don't forgive, if we don't forgive, it has a way of cutting, off, cutting us off from the flow of the blessing of God. It could be that the tormentors are only uh, not being able to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I just know that the word that I find... That Greek word, wherever it's used in the New Testament, it's bad. All right, the experience of the person who refuses to forgive is anything but good and desirable. Now, all right, let's go on. Uh, now, let me just talk to you about, now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Jeff, you know, I, I just don't want to forgive. I, I just, I have trouble with this forgiveness thing. And I want to share with you what I think are just a few blocks to forgiveness. Because I know this is a heavy word. Everybody say to me, this is heavy. I wish I'd stayed home. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Because you've got to know this. Uh, it's, it's always better to obey the Lord. Amen? Now, let me just share some blocks to forgiveness with you. Here, here's one. We don't think the, the offender deserves it. Uh, here's the truth. They don't. But you know what? Neither do you. How many of you have been forgiven? How many of you have done something bad at least once in your life? And you didn't deserve forgiveness. God could have sent you to hell over it. Amen? All right. The truth is they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't. But neither did you when God forgave you. Here's the second block. We believe we're giving the offender the punishment he deserves by our anger and bitterness. Bless God. I'm going to make them pay. And we figure out some way to make them pay. And I've talked to you about the look. And that's where Christians are professional because we're church people. So we can't just go hit them for the most part. So they walk into the sanctuary and we, we give them the laser beam stare. And Uh-huh, I know all about you, you miserable hypocrite. You shouldn't be in church and I know it and God knows it. And I'm going to give you the look as long as you're sitting there. And we give it that look or we say things derogatory about them, spread rumors about them. You know, you know the whole old story. We make them pay. But here's the truth. God holds the corner on the vengeance market. He doesn't anoint you to give them the look. God does not anoint you to take vengeance. Everybody say, bummer. But he doesn't. God says, I've got the corner on the vengeance market. You can't do it. Now get out of the way. Let me deal with it. All right. The scripture says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Who will repay? 
Does he say, I'll repay after you do it? Or does he say, we'll repay? You and me, we'll repay together? He says, get out of the way. I'll repay. So here's this person who has done wrong. God wants to deal with them. But the message of this verse is, as long as you're dealing with them, he can't. He says, get out of the way. Give place. Get out of the way and give place to God. All right? Now, here's another block to forgiveness. We fear that if we don't punish them, they're going to get away with it. I'm going to tell you, I, I love watching... I love watching forensic files. I record every forensic file on TV because I love seeing these people who thought they got away with murder. 20 years later, they get busted. I, I just, there's something to me that just says, yes. It's not that I'm mean. It's just they killed somebody. And there they go, walking through life, got remarried, had more kids, got another job, went on with, and here's this person in the grave. And we fear if I don't give them the look or if I don't take vengeance, that sucker's going to get away with it. And I am not going to sit here and watch them get away with that. There is no way. Here's the truth. Nobody gets away with anything in God's universe. I'm going to say that again. Nobody gets it. Even the person who the forensic files don't catch. And every once in a while, you know, they never found Jack the Ripper. I'll guarantee you Jack the Ripper got his comeuppance. Guarantee you he did. Because you don't get away with anything in God's universe. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Listen to what it says. Colossians 3.25, for he who deals wrongfully will reap the fruit of his folly and be punished for his wrongdoing. And with God, there is no partiality. God doesn't have any favorites, no matter what a person's position may be, whether he's a slave or the master. God doesn't have any favorites. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, smart, dumb. It does not matter. You're going to pay for wrong and you're going to get rewarded for right. Amen, Pastor Jeff, I like this word. This is a good word. I'm going to, man, I'll tell you. Bless him. I just want to see if y'all were there. Now, we're almost done. We don't feel like forgiving. Here's another block to forgiveness. We don't feel, I don't feel like forgiveness. When I feel like forgiving, I'll forgive. Let me give you some news. You're never going to feel like forgiving. It's not going to happen. The truth is forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of obedience. It doesn't require a feeling to do it. And it doesn't require a feeling to be successful at it. It requires obedience. See, in our culture, we put a premium on feelings. And feelings will lead you astray. We can't live by feelings. Live by feelings, you'll probably die by feelings. You can't live by feelings alone, but by every word. It proceeds out of the mouth of God. You've got to obey whether you feel like it or not. And you can just say, I forgive them. Just begin to say it in obedience to God. And the feelings you're looking for will begin to follow. But the feelings are not going to come put you in a headlock and say, okay, it's time for you to forgive because you feel like it. You're not going to feel like it. All right, and here's the last one. We fear that forgiving our offender will reopen a painful, even destructive relationship. 
To not forgive, we conclude, keeps him or her at arm's length. See, we're afraid. If I forgive them, then it's going to open the relationship up again, and I don't want it. Here's the truth, and I want you to hear me on this one. Real important. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. All right? It takes one to forgive, but it takes two people to reconcile. It takes one to forgive, two to work out a reconciliation. Forgiveness can actually be the key that releases you from a relationship that needs to dissolve. Reconciliation often requires change in the offender before reuniting can take place. And that may or may not happen. So just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you've got to be reconciled. You can forgive somebody that's going to keep right on offending you if you let them. But you can forgive them anyway. So you don't have to be afraid of, well, if I forgive, I'm right back in that deal. No, you're not. Because the offender needs to change. And that's where reconciliation comes in. If they're not willing, they're not willing. There's nothing you can do about that. But move on with life. Forgiveness is not dependent on you getting with that person. There are people I have forgiven everywhere who I'll probably never be reconciled to. They wouldn't. But I'm forgiven and I forgave and I've moved on. So let's stand together, can we? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, how many of you needed this word tonight, though it was strong? I know it was strong. Amen. All right, let's go to the Lord. Father, we just, we just come to you with this need to forgive. And, Lord, we know that it's not easy, but it's way harder on us not to. We ask you to help us to walk in this prayer and to forgive. We ask you, Lord, to help us to forgive. Now, as we're getting ready to close out, church, I want you to think, is there anybody who I need to forgive? No, they don't deserve it. And I can tell you, for offending you, hurting you, they won't get away with it. Give it to God tonight, would you? And just say, Lord, I make the choice to obey you, whether I feel like it or not, and I'm going to forgive. In Jesus' name. You go ahead and take a moment.